0: Well, my name's Kevin Phillips. It is my honor and privilege. I mean, it's so much of a pleasure to me to be here. I feel like I work at Chick-fil-A. It is my (laughs) pleasure, all right? Now, I come from the South, right? So before I told you that, I looked up and made sure they had Chick-fil-A here. (laughs) And there's 13 or more Chick-fil-As in the greater Indianapolis area. I found that out. You know, it's pretty cool about Chick-fil-A, right? Every time you go up there, I mean, we love Chick-fil-A. Spent eight years living in Dubai, just moved back to the States about a month or so ago. With my wife, her name's Brooke, we've been married 23 years, and our three little girls, just the sweetest little girls you ever meet, they're 18, 15, and 14. They hate it when I call them little girls, all right? I mean, they, they hate that. But you know how it is, I'm looking at some moms and dads, grandmas and grandfathers, they're always going to be little girls to me, right, no matter how old they get. So we spent eight years living over Dubai, and we'd always get that question, right? What is the thing that you miss the most about living abroad for all that time? And, you know, they'd say, did you miss your family? Well, if you met my family, you'd know we didn't miss them, all right? So, uh, <laughs> but the truth is, they didn't miss me either, all right? So don't, don't, don't take it wrong. Uh, no, I'm kidding you. We love our family. And they'd say, well, did you miss this and that, blah, blah, blah. You know what we'd say? Inevitably, it always counted. My kids would say, what we miss the most, Chick-fil-A. I mean, that was just what it all came down to. I don't work for Chick-fil-A. They're not paying me to be here, but I'm talking about them a lot. You know, and it's a cool thing. Why do we like chicken? Who likes Chick-fil-A? Just raise your hand. Who likes Chick-fil-A? I mean, we all like it, right? Hey, that's some mighty fine chicken. I mean, that's some good chicken. We love that chicken. That's good chicken. But what keeps bringing us back to Chick-fil-A, right? We could buy the sauce, take it home, get mama to make some chicken nuggets. We do that at the house, right? We even did that in Dubai. We take the sauce home all the way 8,000 miles, bring it home, kind of have Chick-fil-A at the house, right? But what, do we, what keeps bringing us back? It goes back to that thing, Right? It's the quality of customer service we find at Chick-fil-A. Isn't it amazing? I mean, the place is clean, the restaurant's clean, the bathrooms are clean, the workers are clean. It's just a neat place. I mean, it's great. We go back for that service, and that does not happen by accident. Did you know the founder of Chick-fil-A one time found himself at the Ritz-Carlton? And while he was there, he said thank you to the person across the desk, and the person replied back after Kathy's thank you, he said, it was my pleasure. And it became a philosophy, it became a driving force to the customer service of the Chick-fil-A Corporation to say we want all of our guests at every Chick-fil-A to feel like they have just been to a luxury world-class facility. And brings in that tone of it is my pleasure to serve you. Now you've just stepped into a college park service with a crazy uh, guy who's your substitute preacher for the day, and you have entered into the REACH 2017, and our theme is a glorious privilege. Now the scripture reading we just had in Arabic and we read in English told about some guys who discovered that glorious privilege on the banks of the Sea of Galilee as Jesus called them out, did miracles in their presence. And said, I want to call you out of the duty you are performing into the glorious privilege of my mission, the mission of Christ. And those guys parked their boats, dropped their nets, and followed Jesus. Hey, we can really say, when I look at my Bible at the end of Luke chapter 5, I wrote down two words many years ago. And it says these two words. It says, all in. Man, when you read a story like that, when you look at that, you see Peter, James, and John going all in with Jesus and all in with the mission of Jesus. But today, we're not going to look at Luke chapter 5. So, Because for a lot of us, we tend to write a chapter like that off. We just, we just write that off. We say, well, of course, Peter, right, and James and John, of course they could go all in. Of course, they could drop their nets, park their life, and follow Jesus, but hey, what about me? I'm just a normal person trying to make it through the day, trying to make it through this week, trying to get through this month, trying to get the kids through school, trying to get the husband off to work, trying to keep the house together, trying to pay the bills, trying to live life, trying to do my thing, trying to keep my head above water. I'm here today. I'm taking on breath. I'm living in joy sometimes, but I'm here today, right? And if you try to tell me I'm supposed to go all in like Peter, James, and John, man, that's just too high of a mark for me to enter into that glorious privilege. Well, it's not true. They're normal guys just like us. But maybe there's a story in the Bible we could take a look at today. A story that every person in the room could really identify with. A story about a man who was in the presence of Peter, James, and John, who was watching them living their all-out walk with Christ. God was doing miracles in them and through them. The church they were raising up was experiencing extraordinary growth. The body of Christ was coming together. They were of one mind and one heart. And some of the people were sitting around, and the mission of Christ is coming to them, and the opportunities to join in that. And then the decisions have to be made by the normal people in the church at Jerusalem in the first century. Are we going to be as all in in the mission of Christ as our leaders, as Peter, James, and John? And the questions come to them just like they come to us. How can we do that with all the normal stresses, strains, opportunities, responsibilities, pressures, fears, doubts that we have in our normal day-to-day life? But today we're going to take a look at a guy. A guy who figured it out. A normal guy, an average guy who said, you know what? I see the mission of Christ. I want to be all in and experience him and his mission and join in the glorious privilege of serving Christ and walking with him in his mission to those who've never heard. Now this guy we're going to take a look at. We're going to do a little journey through his life from the first time we hear about him in the book of Acts all the way to almost the last time we hear about him. We're going to journey through all that and we're going to look at some high points on his life and see if we can find a model for us. To see if we can find some examples for us about what it means to be all in with the mission of Christ. If you'll open up your Bible to Acts chapter 4, we're going to take a look there in verse 36 where we first hear about a man By the name of Joseph Joseph of Cyprus. Otherwise known to a lot of us, some of us who've been in church a while, by the name of Barnabas. Which just happened to be his nickname. And he was known as the son of encouragement. This same man, Barnabas, the first we see of him in the scripture says this. There was a man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. whom the apostles called by his nickname Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. Guys, today I want to present to you a guy that when you look at his life, you can see a person just like you, a normal person in a great church, A person with strains and stresses and work and life and marriage and family and all of that stuff, bills to pay, land ownership, all the kind of trappings and stuff that the normal folks in life, the people right in this room go through. But I want you to see this man on a journey of his life all in with the mission of Christ. And if he worked at Chick-fil-A, he would say, it was my pleasure to serve i was all in when it came to the mission of christ and the first thing we see about these guys this guy's life that we can learn from the first thing we can see is a model for us a guide for us to step out of anything that might look like a half in half out lifestyle a half in half out commitment to the mission of christ man no one that's half in half out ever called it a glorious privilege amen No one who ever said I'm half in, half out experienced the full blessings of being part of that walk with Christ and entering into that mission of his. But only when we step fully in, when we can say I'm all in with Christ and in the mission of Christ, do we experience that fullness. And we see the first thing out of that that's a model and a guide for us, something that we can reach out for, something that you could grab hold of today and say, is this an example for me how can I walk out of this room living in that, following that? We see that he was all in with the mission of Christ through extraordinary generosity. Man, just look at it. The church had people that was in need. Man, there were people that were down on their luck. There were people that were stressed and strained, people being persecuted, and the body was providing for them. And Barnabas, seeing the need, exhibited extreme, extraordinary generosity. By selling some land that he had, the Bible says he took it and he laid it at the apostles' feet, freely giving, not under compulsion, seeing the need, and taking extraordinary, generous steps to meet that need. You know, I think when we see anybody who wants to go all in with the mission of Christ, there's going to be a mark on their life of extraordinary generosity. Now, when we hear the word generosity, the first thing that comes to our mind is money. But you're going to see as we look at the journey of Barnabas' life, his mentality of generosity, his attitude of extraordinary generosity goes way beyond just financial giving. He was generous in every area of his life. You're going to see he was like that with his attitude. He was like that in his service. He was like that with his time. He was like that with his attitude of reaching out and grabbing hold of what is next. An extraordinary Generosity. You know, Nate told you a little bit about our ministry, the For All Mankind Movement. That work started about eight years ago by me and my wife. And I remember I was working at a church very similar to this in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And as we were considering God calling us to be all in to reach the unreached people groups that we talked about of the Middle East and especially the labor camps of Dubai, my wife knew it was going to take some extreme Really extraordinary generosity for us to get to do that work. You know, so we're looking at it. What's that going to look like? Man, we're going to have to raise support. We have to start a new organization, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have to be out on the trail talking to churches like yours and people like you, praying that they will be all in and extraordinarily generous to us, right? Now, just to let you know a little secret, you ever know anybody like that? They're out raising money to go on missions and stuff. You know, they got, you got letters from them or emails from them, phone calls, right, if they're very bold, right? And then if they ever take you to lunch and pay, then you know the pitch is coming, right? Just, just letting you know a little secret. If, if a guy like me ever pays for lunch, man, the, the pitch is coming, all right, so just be ready for it. So in that, I knew we were going to do that, and, and we did. We sat down on the trail. We start talking to great churches like yours and people like you. And as we began to raise the money and consider the extreme generosity we were asking of others, we just began to be convicted about selling all of our stuff, used old stuff, and haggling and bartering over it all, you know, just to scratch up a few dollars and cents. I said, man, we're asking so many people to be extraordinarily generous to us. My wife and I got together and we said, what does it look like for us to be all in on this mission? We're asking others to be all in. What's it look like for us to be all in with our generosity? So my wife and I huddled up, and we looked at the scriptures, we looked at Barnabas' life, and we got as crazy as we could get. And here's what we decided. We decided we were going to give away everything we owned in this world. I was about 35 years old at the time. We'd been married 15 years, and... Uh, all that type of stuff. You can imagine the stuff you accumulate. You can imagine the retirement you have in the savings and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the stuff in the garage, the stuff in the basement, the stuff in the kids' rooms, all your toys and all that kind of stuff. And we said, man, we aren't gonna sell the spoons and knives and forks. We're not gonna sell the fridge in the garage. We're not gonna sell the cars in the driveway. We're giving everything away, cashing in our retirement, pulling out all of our savings, giving away everything we own. We are going all in with the extraordinary, Extraordinary generosity to do our part in being in the mission of Christ. I'm telling you, man, my family thought we were nuts. They thought we were crazy. What are you going to do if this thing doesn't work out? And what are you going to fall back on? We didn't even think about it. How can I ask you to be so generous to us while I'm haggling over some you stuff? You know what we did? We gathered about seven families from our church, a little bit less fortunate than us. Gathered them all over to the house. My wife laid everything out like a yard sale, Right? And then we said, okay, guys, here's the deal. We're in trouble. We're moving over to Dubai in a couple of months. We can't afford to ship all this stuff over there. We need your help. And they're like, yeah, KP, how can we help? Can we help you box it all up, stick it in storage? What do you want to do? And I said, no, man, here's the deal. Everything you see here, you can have. The only issue, it all has to be gone today. (laughs) In three hours, our house was cleaned out. I signed over the titles to both of our cars in the driveway. The kids kept one little chunk of their toys to take to Dubai, and they didn't even fill it up. My wife had to put some more in there, you know. But I remember watching my daughter stand at the top of the stand at the top of the stairs. And as another little girl came up, my kindergarten daughter was standing at the top of the stairs and she looked at her coming and said, "Would you like my dollhouse? Would you like my bed?" Would you like my bedspread, my clothes? And I watched my daughters take their Christmas presents they just received a few months before and carry them out to the car of a little girl and load it up. Extraordinary generosity watching a five-year-old go all in for the mission of Christ. Guys, here's what I want to ask of you. What's that picture look like for you? Is God is calling you up and calling you out to go all in for the mission of Christ, to join in on that glorious privilege of entering into his mission, what does that extraordinary generosity look like in your life? Not just with your money, but allowing him to, to be open and being generous with your time, with your talents, with your ability, with what you have, with what you're keeping, with what you're giving away. What does that picture of extraordinary generosity look like for you to enter in to the mission of Christ? Well, the story of Barnabas goes on. You know, his nickname was the son of encouragement. And as he continued on in that church of Jerusalem, they began to experience an intense wave of persecution. A man by the name of Saul was wreaking havoc on the churches of the region. He was imprisoning Christians, beating them, even led to one of their own leaders being killed. And as this was happening in the church, Barnabas was part of all this. And finally, through the miraculous work of Jesus, this man Saul was converted and came to faith. He was on his way to Damascus. He was saved. He left there, went to Arabia for a while, came back to Damascus, stayed there for some time, and then found his way to Jerusalem. And when he got there, I want you to take a look at this in chapter 9 of Acts. And let's look at verse uh, 36 and 37. 26 and 27. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But verse 27 says it all. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, uh, on his journey, had seen the Lord, how the Lord had spoke to him. And how in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. When we look at Barnabas' life and we're using it as a model, an example of what it looks like for us to be all in on the glorious privilege of serving Christ and his mission, we see that he was all in with extraordinary encouragement. Look at the way he embraced Paul when no one else would. Barnabas had to make a decision, will I be a stumbling block or will I be a stepping stone? Man, I think back on my life, and as I stand on this stage cue mark right now, I stand on the encouragement and shoulders of all my mentors that have come before me. I stand on the encouragement of my grandfather, who was my best friend and pastor. I stand on the testimony and witness and encouragement of my father, who poured into my life, even transforming my DNA as a Christ follower. I stand on the shoulders of all the mentors that came in and out of my life at different seasons over the last 25 years. I stand here today representing a movement that's touching over 300,000 people a week and among the unreached people groups of the world. And I stand here on the encouragement of partners just like you and your church who join with us and pour into us and go into the harvest fields with us, joining in the ministry. Man, I stand here today humbled and honored to be here bringing God's word to you. But I stand here on the shoulders of all the encouragement that has brought me to this point. And we pass that same encouragement on to the over 120 indigenous leaders that work with us and serve on our staff in multiple countries around the world. And my question is, what role will you play As you consider, even right now, as the Holy Spirit's prompting you where you sit, as you consider what an all-in lifestyle looks like for you, as you consider joining in that glorious privilege of serving Christ in his mission, what role will you play? Will you be a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Oh, man, you know what's needed right now in this church? A whole lot of stepping stones, amen? Your staff and your church leadership are doing a great job at providing opportunities for you to come in with extraordinary encouragement. Hey, join a Barnabas team, but get behind some of those that are going to the nations and go into those unreached people groups. I've talked to some wonderful people here that are leading ministries among international students that are reaching out to refugees across the Indianapolis area. Um, And there's all kinds of opportunities in the day-to-day processes of your church to say, I don't want to be a stumbling block for the upcoming generation. I want to be a stepping stone. I don't want to be a stumbling block to those that God's calling up to go to the nations with my generosity and with my encouragement. I want to be a stepping stone for them. I don't want to be a stumbling block for those in my community that need Christ. By the sharing of my faith, and joining Christ on His mission, I want to be that stepping stone. So, how will you respond? Amen. Thank you for the clap. David. That's great. I'm from the south; we get a little more fired up down there. But I hear the northern people are more sophisticated and compli- contemplative. All right, so not complicated. You almost said something wrong. <laughs> Sometimes you say things you mean. I mean, you don't mean. Now, I hope you're following with me. Let's go back to that journey with Barnabas. He's such a guide for us, right? And I'm praying that you're moved right now. Actually, I'm depending and relying on the Holy Spirit to wake you up, to slide you out to the edge of your chair, to crack your knuckles, lick your lips, get up here and engage with me and say, all right, KP, what's it look like for me to go all in? I see extraordinary generosity, extraordinary opportunities of encouragement, But just like Barnabas, we see that he was all in and he served the mission of Christ by seizing extraordinary opportunities. Man, take a look at it there in Acts chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. In Acts chapter 11, we see the story of the church progressing. Persecution is going wild. Many of the Christians from Jerusalem had to flee to other parts of the world. Some, and every one of them that went on their way, they joined in the mission of Christ. Some of them landed in a city called Antioch, which would be in modern day Northern Syria. And as they got in there, they began to see that some of the people, the gospel wasn't going to them. So they began to share the work, they started a church and an awakening of faith and discipleship broke loose. I mean, people are coming to Jesus like crazy. They're being raised up and so much that all the way back in Jerusalem, The leaders of the mother church, they heard about it, right? And they're like, man, something's broke loose. Something's lit off. Something's sparked off down up in Antioch. We got to go check it out and and validate it, right? We got to see if this is legit, see if this is real. You know, we got to make sure they're following the right doctrines and all that. You know, we got to button it up. So they're doing all this. What are we going to do about it? Well, the pastor's got to talking. And he said, man, I'm busy. I got a wedding next week. And I was like, yeah, I got some stuff coming up. I got that trip we got to go to. And the other guy's going, man, I got to keep the wheels turning here at the home front, right? So the apostles and Pastor James are kicking around, and they say, who can we send for us? Who has the reputation that we can raise up and send out who has the skills, who has the ability to go up there and verify that, join into it, and give a report back. And when they looked around their congregation, they analyzed the reputations, the set of skills, the ministry components, the history, the track record, and they had this great opportunity, and they tapped one man to do it. And what was his name? Barnabas. Raised him up to seize an extraordinary opportunity To go into this work. And what I love about Barnabas. That's a great example for us. Is he didn't back down one second. I mean he saw the opportunity. His pastors called him up. He said I am ready. I am willing. I will step in to that extraordinary opportunity. Let's take a look at it real quick. And just see how it went down. Chapter 11 verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived there. He saw the evidence of the grace of God. And he was glad. And he encouraged them, there he is again, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. There's his reputation. And his impact, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Man, I want that to be said of me. I don't know about you. He was a good man. He was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And many people came to the Lord through him. Is that what you want said of you? Is that your reputation around College Park? Are you one of those that has that reputation when your pastors are saying, man, we're ready to spark off a new outreach program in the city, who could go for us? When they're saying there's an important body-based ministry that needs to happen within our congregation, who has the skills and the discipline and the reputation to be tapped to rise to the occasion? When your youth pastor's looking around and says, who's going to start up that uh, outreach at our local school? Who's going to help on that thing that we're doing in the student ministry? Do you have that reputation where the youth pastor's saying, man, or your youth small group leader, or whoever it might be, they're saying, man, that's the girl. That's the guy. I see her developing. I see him raising up. I'm ready to invite him in to an extraordinary opportunity. I got a guy like that. I met him when he was 23 years old. Now, when I met him, he was a 23-year-old guy, just landed in Dubai, hair down to his shoulders, right? He was a real cool dude, played some national level soccer in Pakistan, real cool, tough guy, right, trying to play it off, slicking his hair back with that mustard oil, man, he was cool, taking those glamour shots. I mean, he he was just a cool dude. And when I met him, he was a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant. And over some time, the Lord really got a hold of his life. The real st- Lord started to develop him. He came to Christ. I had a chance to baptize him in the Arabian Gulf myself. And over the years, that was eight years ago, seven years ago. And over the years, I began to watch him develop. And eventually, he joined our team and served as a translator. And then he served as one of our missionaries on the field. And as we began to develop our work in Dubai, it came a time where the Westerners were going to back off and the indigenous leaders were going to take over it was a great opportunity a heavy investment of funds your church is part of that a heavy risk associated with us to give up the reins and when we looked around as a family leadership and said who can take this who has developed the skills Who's in the word two hour, one to two hours a day? Who's working six days a week? Who's developing himself and the leaders around him? We looked around, and it was Sonny Punu that we saw that had built that reputation. We put our hand on his shoulders, tapped him, and he didn't back off one step. Now this guy's 30 years old. He's leading a ministry in Dubai that has over 100 active outreach groups, 20 holistic house churches spread across the city, Three celebrations like yours on Friday morning, reaching 1,700 people a week. He has a staff of himself of 16, and he's operating a disciple-making movement of some, among some of the most unreached people on the face of the earth in some of the most intense context you can find for ministry. And that, amen. That's a guy who says, I am all in when it comes to the mission of Christ. I will step up. Grab the bat and swing away. I've been called up into service with Christ and his mission. I love it. So let me ask you this question. What's your reputation? What skills are you developing? How are you raising up and developing yourself and the leaders around you? What opportunities, what extraordinary opportunities are set before you? I want to mention just one. And that's a chance to join me and to join Pastor Nate and some of the other guys from your church and come to Dubai with us in December of this year. We're going to go over there and work with Sonny and his team. In the five days we'll be on the field, we're going to start 20 outreach groups. We're going to get a chance to share the gospel somewhere between 700 and 1,000 men and see many of them come to Christ, Lord willing. I'm going to invite you right now to take advantage of that extraordinary opportunity. Go to the missions area after the service, find Nate, find someone on his team, sign up today and say, I will step up, I'll grab the bat, I feel God's calling me up, calling me out, and I'll swing away at this extraordinary opportunity. Well, man, it doesn't stop there. As we see the life of Barnabas going on and developing, he continues to give us a great example of what it means for us to be all in and take advantage of that glorious privilege. And what we see is an extraordinary mentorship and discipleship. Man, I wish I had the time to really break this down. But what we see next is, as this movement is really going on in Antioch, Barnabas, he just just blows everybody away. It blows me away. The value he put on the mentoring and discipleship, he left the place where he was the man, right? Hey, I've got it here. This thing's, this thing's gangbusters. This thing's going off the charts. This thing is huge. I'm the man. I'm the big shot from Jerusalem. I came with a plan. God's blessing me. But you know what he did? It says there in the scriptures, verse 24 or 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul And he found him, and he brought him to Antioch. Mentorship. Then for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Discipleship. What does it look like for you and for me to be all in when it comes to the mission of Christ? What does it look like for us to put our hands on that glorious privilege? It looks like extraordinary mentorship and discipleship. Man, when you really see it, do you know why Barnabas left and went to Tarsus? It's 150 miles, and they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles back then. It was a dangerous journey. Why did he go? If you really dig into it and you remember how Saul was converted, and you remember the words that Jesus shared to him on the road, that story began to be shared in the churches of Judea. And it was known that there was a prophecy on the life of Paul. There was a testimony about him that he would be used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He would be used to share with great and small alike. And that he would learn what it means to suffer for Christ's name. This story went around. It was kind of a reputation, right? It was a prophecy on his life. But Barnabas never forgot that. From his days of meeting Saul in Jerusalem, he never forgot that there's a special testimony. There's a prophecy on his life. God's going to use this man, and he might use him greater than me. And Barnabas becomes less, and Paul becomes more. Guys, when I think about that, that is the ambition of the For All Mankind movement. That we as Westerners would become less every day and the indigenous leaders we're raising up would become more. That we would be able to slip into the shadows As indigenous movements of disciple-making and church planning, led by their own people, in their mother tongue, break forth. That is the ambition of the ministry I have the privilege to lead. And to this day, in the last seven years, we've seen over 18,000 of those outreach groups started. We've seen more than 500 churches to be planted in three different countries. We've seen 30,000 adult men and women be baptized as brand new followers of Jesus. And we're seeing about 300,000 being gathered into Bible study every week in two different countries. Amen. This is our ambition. That guys like Sonny and guys like Kamal Jeed and guys that you'll never heard of and nobody else will, but God knows them. They would become more and we would become less. All in for the mission of Christ. And what's that look like happening in this church? What's it look like happening in your small group? Don't just leave all the responsibility on the pastor's to be reaching, equipping, and sending. What's it look like for you in the holistic ministry of your small group to say, we want to be all in with that mission. We want to be all in with extraordinary mentoring and discipleship to those that God has given to us. What's it look like in your ministries here at this church at a department level? And what does that look like for you to say, I want to follow Barnabas into that glorious privilege with extraordinary mentoring and discipleship? Man, what's that look like, Dad, to be mentoring and discipling inside your family that they exceed all expectations and outpace even our walk in our life with God? Amen? Isn't that our ambition for our children and our spouses? Man, what's that look like for the people that sit under your Bible teaching in small groups week by week that they raise up and do greater things while we fall back into the shadows watching the next generation rise up? What does that look like for those that have never heard for those that wouldn't even dare darken the door here at, at College Park? What does it look like for those today that are lost without Jesus out in these communities that need an extraordinary mentorship and extraordinary discipleship that they too can have the privilege of being all in when it comes to a relationship with Jesus? Man, this is a question worth analyzing and looking at, but it doesn't stop there. The last part we hear about Barnabas is in Acts chapter 15. And what I see in Barnabas is it shows after they go through a long missionary journey that spanned the time of about 14 years. As we see Barnabas from the first time we hear about him to now, 20 plus years have went by. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we don't see the humanity in it. We don't see the sweat equity in the work of the characters in the Bible. We just kind of read it like blah, 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 story, 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 whatever. But man, these are real people. And the time frame from Acts chapter four to Acts chapter 15 is a little over 20 years. And what I see in the life of Barnabas that leads me deeper in to the mission of Christ that pushes me to not just be all in, but to stay all in is an extraordinary endurance. 20 or plus years. He became less, Paul became more. You know, I remember in my own life, One night I found myself after about a year or so of working 60, 70 hours a week, six days a week in those labor camps like Reggie described. I find myself one night alone, hanging out with 15 South Asian guys. None of them speak English. I don't speak much of their language. And I'm sitting there in a room, crowded, hot. There's some old, cold camel meat, three-day-old rotis. I got roaches crawling on my legs, rats in the corner. I hadn't seen my wife in about three days, and we were catching each other about two hours a day. Hadn't been spending much time with the kids. And I'm looking around, and the thought comes to me in this setting, why am I here? I'm just being honest with you. Man, I'd left working at a church very similar to yours here. Man, I was enjoying all the privileges and all the stuff that happens when we live here in the West and in the United States. Man, things were good. And I got to thinking about it, what am I doing here? Is this what my life has come to, hanging out with 15 Pakistanis that don't speak much English in a dark, dank, dirty old labor camp? It really hit me. It was like, man, nobody told me to come here. Most people don't even want me here, right? I know my family doesn't want me here, right? They'd rather have us back home. Man, what am I doing here? And I began to have a gnawing sensation in my flesh. And everything that started gnawing at me said the grass is greener on the other side. It's time to get out of here and get back and maybe you can get a job at College Park, all right? Or (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Is that sense of depression and whining started to set in? It didn't last long. Because then you lift up your head out of your pity party. And you look into the eyes of those 15 guys in the room. You remember they're the guys you gave everything you owned away for. They're the guys you're making every sacrifice for. Then you see them coming to Christ. You see them experiencing freedom and joy and peace and light coming into the darkness that is their life. You see them finding purpose and meaning right in the midst of a dark, dingy, dirty labor camp. And you say, the privilege of service has been reborn in my heart. That love is breaking forth. I no longer see it as a chore to endure, but I see it as a privilege, and I can persevere with joy. You ever seen somebody just going through something you couldn't imagine doing for a life? You couldn't imagine doing it for a day, right? But you look on their face and you see joy breaking forth. They're finding purpose, meaning, and direction through it. They're happy, they're content, they're full of life. Man, that can be ours in our service of the King, but it's gonna take a sense of endurance, of being all in and staying all in. Don't give up, don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up too soon. For in due time, you will reap a reward if you do not quit. Don't look over the fence. Don't get caught looking over the fence. The grass is not always greener. Stay with it. Endure. Be all in and stay all in. Because for those who enter into that glorious privilege on the sign, there's a great blessing that awaits. And that blessing is best said by Paul when he said these words. And looking out to one of his disciples, he wrote him a letter. It's called the book of Philemon. And in verse 6, he gives his disciple, desiring for him who was once all in to stay all in. Who was looking to his disciple and wanting nothing but the best for him. Speaks these words, and I speak them to you. For us who want to be all in, for you who are ready to follow Barnabas' example through extraordinary generosity, extraordinary encouragement, seizing extraordinary opportunities, committed to extraordinary discipleship and mentoring, ready to endure, ready to excel with extreme opportunities to endure. Hear these words. Where Paul said to his disciples, I say to you, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith. Why? So that you might have a full and complete understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. You know what awaits those who get in on the glorious privilege? You know what's waiting for those who are all in with Christ and His mission? It is a complete, a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. Man, you can't get that by just hanging out here in the worship center. That won't come just hanging out in the small group study. That is found being active in the mission of Christ, sharing our faith. That's where the fullness, complete understanding comes in. Don't deny yourself of that. By living half in, half out. So here we are. We've come to the end of the service. And I have one question for you. How will you respond? Just like Barnabas was called up, you are being called up today. Some of you feel like you're getting called out, right? (laughs) But we're just calling you up, okay? How will you respond? You're being called up to not live a half-in, half-out walk with Christ. To no longer deny yourself a full and complete understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. You're being called up and called out to go all-in with Christ and stay all-in. Oh, listen, we want you to experience every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. And that is found In the glorious privilege of joining Christ in his mission. I wish there were shortcuts. I haven't found them. And I believe the scriptures say there are no shortcuts. He has called us to go all in. How will you respond? Would you bow your heads with me please? I want you to consider that question today. How will you respond to being called up and called out to go all in? Listen, I am completely dependent on the Holy Spirit this moment. But my time of admonishing you is over and I'm believing and fully confident that the Holy Spirit has been weaving in and out of the rows of these chairs. He's already spoken to you. He's prompting your heart. He's showing you opportunities for generosity, opportunities of encouragement, opportunities of service, opportunities of mentoring and discipleship, opportunities and ways and areas where you must endure. He's already spoken to you. So how will you respond? Will it be with an obedient heart or a disobedient one? Will it be to remain half in, half out, or to go all in? Whatever that means for you today. And now I pray over you the words that Paul prayed over his disciples. I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would go all in. And hold nothing back. That you would enjoy the glorious privilege of being on mission with Christ in his mission. And I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you might have that full and complete understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus being built up and sent out In the mission of Christ. Let there be no answer in this room. No response other than yes, Lord, yes. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.